0: I was in the Golden Nugget Casino yesterday in Lake Charles. Now, some of you think I'm going to say it's okay for you to go gamble. That's, no, I'm a whole lot smarter than to waste my money. I'll tell you why I was in Lake Charles in a few minutes. And I stayed at the Golden Nugget because that's that's... Those are the best hotels in Lake Charles, and they have a nugget there, hence the name Golden Nugget, and it's behind glass, and it's about this tall, and it weighs 60-some-odd pounds, and it's supposed to be the largest gold nugget discovered in the United States. And I asked, and they said it was the real thing. It was not a replica or facsimile. I don't know. I didn't see anybody. I would have had people with machine guns standing there, and, you know, and 50 calibers, you know, heavy stuff, you know. There wasn't a single person with a gun that I could see that was visible. Of course, I'm sure it was on a pressure-sensitive pad if they were telling me the truth and all kind of alarms would have gone off and every the building would have been shut down, I would imagine. And maybe the glass was unbreakable. I just don't know. But what fascinated me was the story behind that nugget. I am convinced that the Bible is the most important book in the world. I further believe that we have not yet discovered the treasures that remain in this book waiting for us to find them. We've discovered some of them. But there are many we have not And part of what I began by saying about uh, being active in your sphere of influence as a believer is one reason that the church has not always done that is it developed a theology that this book was good for when you got old and were getting ready to die. but it didn't have much practical application for people's lives right now. I contend that is the biggest heresy that has ever been spawned in hell. This book tells you how to have the best possible life you could ever want to live. And then, as an added benefit, when you're fantastic life here ends, you get to go to be with the Lord in an incredible place, even better than this. Because the old philosophy that seemed to be taught by, I'm not talking about this church, but the church at large was, you know, heaven was what was important and eternity And you might have to make some real sacrifices and go through a lot of pain and hardship here, but that's okay. Hang on until you get to the end and we developed an in the sweet by and by mentality. Am I making any sense? We'll understand it better by and by. Implying that whatever we are walking through right now is going to really be painful and rough and you won't understand it. Just, just, Just trust me. And the sweet by and by, if you can make it to heaven, you're going to be glad you did. And I found out that while that is true and I'm in no way arguing that heaven must be incredible and, and that's going to be a wonderful thing and eternity with God is beyond imagination. I found out I don't have to wait until I get to heaven to start having a great life. And there's all this stuff in this book that teaches us how to live right now. Back to the nugget. I'll tell you in a few minutes why I was even there. It was found by a guy that lived in a trailer home. And he was out in his backyard out west with a metal detector. And it went off, and he dug down, and two feet beneath the surface of the soil was the largest nugget ever discovered in North America. And he's living in a trailer. And boy, if that didn't speak to me about where Christians are at. That if we just get in our own backyard, There's stuff there we haven't found yet. Amen. And I've been in a series on part of what I'm talking about, building your dream. God wants you to have an incredible life, far better than even what you aspire to live and enjoy yourself. And we go to the book of James, and with that kind of a background, we ask the question, what is your life? Is it the best it can be? And Philippians Let's skip over the first verse and go directly to verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call. Because when you connect with God, your life begins to move upward in every aspect and dimension of your person. From your finances to your marriage to your family to your health to everything. Not just the spiritual dimension as people once believed. And I, I really do believe that herein is the failure of modern Christianity to be understood by a secular world. A secular world's looking for something right now. And they don't realize that the Bible provides exactly that. And the failure of Christians to understand that and only live for pie in the sky or you'll understand it better by and by. While that is out there, it created a disconnect. While we are going to enjoy that, it created a disconnect between people who were looking for their, the best life they could live right now, and people became convinced that to have that life they needed to find it without God. Well, I've read from the passage a couple of weeks ago in Mark eight twenty-two through twenty-six. This will now be the third Sunday I just mentioned and referenced this, where Jesus came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him, and Jesus touched the man, prayed for him, and his eyes popped open and he could see. But with one problem, though he could see, he saw men as tall as trees walking around. And what's really intriguing about this because you assume that if he saw men as trees that everything else was equally blown out of proportion and exaggerated in size, but it wasn't. Men were the only thing that he saw out of proportion and size. Everything else was normal. If he had seen men as trees, then what would a tree have been like if everything had been proportional? A tree should have been like, gee, like one of the skyscrapers in downtown Houston. It wasn't. And a house should have been as big as a mountain, but it wasn't. Only men. And Jesus had to pray for the man a second time. The only passage in Scripture where this has ever occurred and this time the man was completely healed and he saw men in direct proportion in size to the things around them. And Jesus then forbid the man to go back into the city. And I've already explained what all of that meant and talked about this. And what the man had was a problem of seeing people too big. And there are many of us that live our lives and things are equally disproportional in our vision. We see people as too big. And we spend our time trying to please people. And I'm talking about healing the need to please disease. Father, I pray that you would speak to us right now and let your word impact our hearts and our lives. Heal people. Deliver us. Make us whole in every sense of what your word wants to make us whole in, which is every component element of our person. I ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. So when I spoke about this last, I spoke about this need for approval that we all have, right? We all have it, and we get it honest, and it's actually a good thing because you don't want to be connected with people who really don't care at all what you think or don't think. God made us in His image, and according to John 4, He seeks people to worship Him. If we're made in His image and likeness, we also to some degree seek approval. Where this becomes dangerous is when it becomes like it was with this man that Jesus had to pray for the second time. And that we see people so big that everything else in our lives is dwarfed in comparison. We see people as disproportionately important. And we then spend our time and our energy trying to please. And what this works out is two basic things. Paths that people will take, one of the two. And sometimes they'll journey one before they get to the other. Many people in this room today are experiencing what I'm talking about, and the first path is you end up standing on tiptoes trying to make people happy, try to make family happy, try to make loved ones happy, try to make friends happy, try to make boss happy. And understand that you do need to care about some of these things, and that should be of a concern to you. But I'm talking about when it becomes so overwhelmingly important that your need for approval is such that you spend your life on tiptoes trying to make everybody accept you. And it is a destructive force that has brought untold damage into homes and marriages. Many marriages are set up with this imbalance at work, in the marriage. It's inherited in many family structures. It affects you in your job. Talk about stress. Oh, yeah. And this is why some people eventually go the other direction, and this is the second path, they become angry. Because it seems that no matter what they do, They never quite meet everyone's approval, or at least in their mind they don't. And they stand on tiptoes, and after a while they get angry. And let me discuss it in other terms. People experience depression. And what depression is, and you talk to anybody that knows anything about depression, and there are no doubt in a congregation this size, there are people that have suffered or are walking through it, this thing called depression. Let me tell you what depression is. It is suppressed hostility. What does that mean? It means anger you have pushed back down into the manhole and tried to put the cover back on and stand on. Anger. Anger of what? Anger that you're doing your best and it doesn't seem to be enough. Anger that you can't be accepted for who you are. And you've got to jump through somebody else's hoops before you have mirrored back to you a sense of worth. And so what you have then is you have people that spend all of their lives submitting themselves to the demands of others and never feeling satisfied like their life is achieving anything. And you have others that get so burnt out on that they just get mad and go into depression and feel like they have no value and they're angry. And that all has a start, and I'm going to talk to you about it in a moment and tell you why I was at the Golden Nugget in Lake Charles yesterday. I'm a whole lot smarter than to go gamble my money. I work too hard for it. That's why that building is the nicest building in Lake Charles. They don't do that because they are giving you money. They do that with the money they're taking from you. The odds of the house are always stacked against you. And so people spend their lives submitting to the demands of others and become angry. The third option is the one I've already talked about a couple of weeks ago. Or they just dial out and don't care what anybody thinks. And you don't want that kind of person in your life. They'll hurt you and not even grieve about it. Many people misunderstand submission. For example, in marriage, I have the greatest wife. She's entirely submitted to meeting my demands. I pray that I I don't make her stand on tiptoes because if I were to discover that, it it would grieve me. I want her to feel accepted. But did you hear about Patrick Guide sent me this? The guy in California that married a woman, rather in Texas, he married a woman from California. And he said to her, When I come home from work, I expect you to have my bath water hot and ready, dinner cooked, and the house clean. Heard some ladies go, hmm. The first day he came home, nothing. Second day, nothing. Third day, nothing. The other guy from Texas married a woman from Indiana. She received the same instructions as the first wife. First day he came home, nothing. Second day, nothing. Third day, nothing. Third guy, Texan, also married a woman from Texas. He said to her, when I come home from work, I expect you to have my bath water ready dinner cooked in the house clean. And what's more, I decide when we go to bed at which time you will give me a massage. First day, nothing. Second day, nothing. Third day, nothing. Finally, on the fourth day, he could open one of his swollen black eyes enough to see his way to the refrigerator. and use his broken arms to make a sandwich. (laughs) Many people misunderstand what being submitted is, and many people will submit themselves to others who, just to be perfectly honest with you, there are people that are very happy. And some folk figure this out in life, and they become happy to let you spend your life trying to make them happy and please them. They learn how to withhold their approval just enough to make you stretch a little harder and further, stand a little longer, and give yourself with a little more energy and effort to this task, but they never quite allow you to feel like you have arrived. And what it is in both cases, either the person that is experiencing anger or depression or the person that is seeking to meet whatever your need is, it all stems from the same thing. It's the need to please disease that gets us going down this path. And... It becomes extremely painful. Now back to why I was in Lake Charles. Because my mama died this week. Don't feel bad for me because I didn't really know her. Saw her when I was, she gave us away when I was four. And then saw her again briefly when I was 20 when her dad, my grandfather, was dying. And he asked him to see us. I was four, my two younger brothers, one was two and a half and one was nine months old when she gave us away. I won't go into all the details, I don't even know what happened back then. But she decided she didn't want to be our mama anymore. And I hadn't heard from her for years. I tried to do some research on who she was and didn't know until this week that the reason I could never learn anything about her was because all of my life I'd heard her referred to, and this was the name she was known by. By her middle name. Turns out she had another name <laughs> I didn't know about. That was her first name. And so I could never pull up anything on her because I didn't have her name correct. Well, she passed away this week, was diagnosed last week with colon cancer stage 4. Told she would lived for a while and then instead on Tuesday had a heart attack and died. She had just turned 83. I walked up to that casket and didn't even know who the woman was in the casket. And it took me years of dealing with the sense of rejection and walking through the very processes that I'm talking about right now, the processes of trying to please people and doing things that were self-destructive and ruining my own life to finally becoming angry and depressed. I walk through all those phases myself. And for that reason, I really relate when I see people and I can spot it almost right away. And there are people that spend their lives walking through this and never find resolution, never come to a place of peace, resolve. And do you know that it happens on the job it happens in homes, and marriages. This is one of the major reasons that marriages are troubled is because we're looking for acceptance from our companion and looking for our emotional needs to be met. Let me phrase it that way. Does that sound more familiar? And there's not a living human being alive on the face of this planet. Well, I guess if you're on the face of the planet and you're alive, that you're a living human being, but a little bit redundant but there's not a human being on the face of this planet that's living and breathing that can meet all of your emotional needs can't amen they can't be god to you and make up whatever other people are not able to supply in your life and what ends up happening as it did with me is it causes you such stress that you find yourself at a place in your life where you're not building your dream. You got your eyes off your dream and you're trying to make other people see the value in you that you think has been overlooked, which is what I thought had happened when my mama gave me and my two younger brothers away. And the way it broke down in my mind was like this. If your mama don't want you, you must not be much. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not going personal here today for you to feel sorry for me. Don't. Because I walked through some stuff that in now enables me to be able to better understand where some of you are at. And I see this at every level. I see people in ministry. And you know why they're in ministry? Oh, they've got a call for God on their life, but that's not the compelling reason they're ministering. They're ministering to please people rather than please Him. And they're miserable. And as you've often heard me say, not me, I'm having the time of my life. Because I finally reached a place of resolve and stopped seeing people as being too big in my life. And... We all, we, we keep, we spend our time looking for validation. And so I've already covered four things that just briefly I'll just throw out there. The need to please disease when the need for validation is inordinately and disproportionately too great in your life. It will make you, in trying to please people, miss God's purpose for your life. God put you here for a reason and you'll miss it. Number two, and I've discussed these already, pleasing people will cause you to even miss your destiny and certainly keep you from building your dream because you spend all your time worrying about what somebody else thinks and whether they like you or see you or value you or ad infinitum ad nauseum. Pleasing people will Keep you from developing also your faith. And I've talked about that. And fourthly, pleasing people will lead you into sin. Now let's move on. Four other things and then I'm going to tell you how to heal this. Number five, pleasing people causes us to become untrue to ourselves and to God as believers. And we have certain convictions and values in our heart that because we need to be accepted by people we don't even stand up for for fear that someone will judge us and reject us. That's right. Why do you think our nation is in the mess it is in morally? The trouble it's in, and 80% of the people of this nation believe the Bible. It's because we were intimidated into silence. We allowed ourselves to be. For fear the big people, might not value us and think we're dumb Are not very bright. The ancient Greeks loved to perform dramas, stage dramas, and I enjoy going to dramas. Don't enjoy drama, just enjoy going to them. <laughs> difference? Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Don't enjoy drama, just enjoy going to them. And in dramas these days, if you were to go, for example, to Broadway, they make the actors and actresses up. Not so the ancient Greeks; they wore masks, just like the Japanese would wear masks. They they do the same thing in in, far e- in the Far East. To demonstrate emotion, they would have a mask, maybe tucked into the pocket of their their robe or their costume that would show anger and another one that would show laughter. And they would go out on the stage and they would have this mask of laughter and then somebody would say something and they would turn and whip out this other mask and put it on and turn back to the audience and they would be scowling in anger. Well, the ancient Greeks had a term for this and they called it being a hypocrite. The word hypocrite in the Greek means to speak from behind a mask. And this is what the Bible warns us about, that as believers, we should not give ourselves to hypocrisy and pretend to be one thing in society, while in our heart, we're something else. We're hiding from everybody who we really are. And Jesus talked about it. This light's not supposed to be put under a bushel. Amen. Well, what happens is when you want to please people, you put a mask on. And I want to know how many of us in this room are wearing masks right now because we don't want people to really know who we are for fear they might not like the real person on the inside. And there is a discrepancy between who we appear to be and who we actually are. Listen to this 2 Corinthians 10 18, contemporary English version. You may brag about yourself, but the only approval that counts is the Lord's approval. You hear that? At the end of the day, it's God you need to be worried about pleasing, and not everybody around us. But we got that backwards. Number six. The need to please disease. I'm talking about things that will make happen. Pleasing people can even rob you of your salvation and relationship with Christ. There are people that are lost. Think about this. How intelligent is it to choose to enter eternity without God? How smart is that? Well, I'm not really sure there is a God. Are you sure there's not one? That ought to be the question you're asking. Because if there is a 1% chance there is, you better be making some plans. I'll put it like this. If there's a 1% chance your airplane is going down, do you plan on getting on it? Not me. I want to know that thing's going to manage to stay up there when I get on the plane. And yet people gamble their eternal salvation on the basis of my friends won't like it or think I'm weird or think I'm stupid or whatever if I become a believer. And when you're young and peer pressure really is a compelling force in your life, Boy, things like this matter. In fact, it didn not matter your entire life. But when you're trying to find out who you are and you're young and you begin to build an identity based upon pleasing people, it can even make you lose your salvation and relationship with Christ when you see people too big. And this is not even, eternity is not even the worst part of being without Christ. Luke 15 tells us, three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. We think that Jesus is just telling stories. He's doing more than that. He's actually illustrating the three dimensions of lostness. The first dimension, the sheep that is lost, well, what's what's the problem here? Well, the problem is pretty obvious. There are wolves and there are lions and bears. It's in mortal danger. That's actually only the first dimension of lostness is that you're in peril and danger. And yes, without God, you are in danger of being lost for eternity. But there's a second dimension that is even more painful in terms of what you're experiencing now and in terms of what it costs God is more painful to him. And that is the dimension of the lost coin. I'm in Africa, as you know, each week, and they see the same in ports of India, where they have huts that are little one-room affairs with a dirt floor, and what they do is they get grass or straw, and they pack it in that little house, that little one-room hut. And this lady that lost a coin, you have to understand the culture, she wore a veil, and the veil had coins in it that were her dowry for when she got married. And one of them came unsewed and was disconnected from the veil and fell into the straw on the floor of the, the house. So she gets down on her knees with a candle, and Jesus said she goes through the straw, searches the house, Everybody there understood what he was talking about. Us, not so much, because we don't have straw floors. But she's on her hands and knees looking for the coin. What's he really speaking about? Well, first let me tell you this, that the coin has a purpose. It was a dowry. It ensured her future, and coins are made to be spent. And what it speaks of is that when you're not in Christ, you can lose your destiny and your purpose for being in this world. And what the church and Christ are pictured as, as the woman on her knees. Can you imagine Jesus on his knees looking for you to help you find out why you're here? This is really the picture of how much God loves us. And that's the purpose of the church, not just to get you saved for eternity. That is the shepherd going out to look for the lost sheep to save it from the wolves. But there's another dimension. We're also here to help you find purpose and destiny so that your life will have meaning. Amen. That's right. And the the third is even a dimension of lostness worse than the previous two. And that is the boy went to his dad, said, I want my portion of the inheritance. I'm leaving, I'm going with my friends. And he goes, and he's lost a relationship with his father. And that's the most painful to God. The first and most shallow dimension of lostness is eternal damnation. The second, more profound than that, is you've wasted your purpose and the reason for which God created you. And the third is that you don't have relationship with Him because we were made because God wanted to have relationship with us and know us. That's how much you matter to God. Amen. Amen. And whenever you have the need to please disease, you throw all those three away just to make, (laughs) pardon me, people happy. Number seven, pleasing people also robs the world of your witness for Christ. The world needs your testimony. They literally need to hear what I just got through saying, that lostness for eternity is only the first dimension. But when you're lost to Christ, you lose your destiny and your purpose, and you also thirdly lose what could have been a relationship with Almighty God. The world needs to know that. And how are they going to learn it? Your testimony. But when you have the need to please disease, can't tell anybody your testimony. (laughs) No, you're going to think you're weird. Amen. When you're concerned about pleasing people, you don't want to risk their disapproval by taking up a position or starting a conversation that might be unpopular. Heavens, no. Keep that stuff out of here. No prayer in schools. No. Don't bring that into the office. You can talk about your drunk on Saturday night, but don't bring Jesus in here. You know what I'm saying? And what happens is you let the fear of people keep you from sharing who Jesus really is and what the Bible's really all about. And the Bible has no, a number of stories that point out this very thing occurring. John chapter 9 tells the amazing story of another blind man that was healed a Jesus healed that had been blind all of his life. And the Pharisees were trying to discredit Christ from getting the, the, as it were, the accolades for what he had just done and the praise. And so they go to this man's parents. And you would think that when they went to his parents and they asked them, is this your boy? They would have said, yeah. Was he blind? Yeah. Then how can he see? Jesus did it! Whoa! This is incredible! You think they would have shouted it from the housetops? Not so. Watch the story unfold. John 9, 20 through 23, Then his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. <clears throat> Ask him. He will speak for himself. Verse 22 His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. How many of us let the fear of other people keep us from being the light we're supposed to be and sharing our testimony? We're the world that needs it. We're intimidated. Into silence. We put a bushel over the candle as Jesus warned us would happen. Look at John 7 and 13. No one had the courage to speak favorably about him, Jesus, in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Another case right there. Third, Pilate. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And the crowd went into an uproar. And you know what Pilate did? Called for water. Said, You deal with it. You know what he did? Tested the political wind. Found out that it was blowing the wrong direction and said, Uh uh-uh, uh, can't go that direction. John 12, 42 through 43, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. The next verse is incredible. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. And some translations say they loved human approval more than they loved God's approval. Whose approval are you seeking in life? There's not a parent in this building that will not have to struggle in raising their children to impart to them the sense that they should not waste their life doing what these people did. And there's not a one of us that are parents that were not once young children ourselves who struggled at that time with the same issue and Many of us still do to this very day. God, heal us of the need to please disease. And God, help us to serve you and not look to others for affirmation of worth. And the eighth thing that pleasing people does, and I've got to wrap this up quickly, is pleasing people robs God of your worship and devotion. He deserves it. I mean, has God been good to anybody in this building but me? How can I not give him my praise? Because somebody else might not be happy about it. Now, no offense. Seriously, none. And you'll forgive me for the human reference again. But I was raised in Louisiana now some of you think that that means I have something to get against Texas. No, I got over here as quick as I could. But I do know the difference in good seafood and not so good seafood. Forgive me. And if red lobster is your idea of good seafood, come with meat and yawlins. I get these emails. I don't even know how you get on some of these subscription lists. I get them from Red Lobster. Come here, we're having a special. And I just find, delete, and delete it. I'm not, sorry, I'm not going to be there. Not as long as there's a Papa Doe's right there on I-10. I'm not. And if that's offensive to you, forgive me. Hail Mary, Mother of God. Pray for the sinners now. Just pray for me, okay? But my point is this, amen. I've been in some places that were built as fantastic restaurants. And when I walked out, I wanted to ask for a refund. You know what I'm talking about? I've been in places that people travel from across the country to, not restaurants. Points of interest. And people talk about how great it is. And I get there and I say... Where's the refund department? Look what happens in Revelation 5 and 12. John describes seeing us after we get to heaven and we're gathered around the throne and we see him and this is what we say. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Nobody asks for a refund. They say, whoa, worthy is the lamb. God deserves our worship. God deserves our praise. And so I have a question this week for you to think about, a little self-analysis. In what areas, ask yourself this, in what areas of my life am I allowing people to influence me to do the wrong things or to keep me from doing the right? that I might gain their approval or avoid their rejection. In your marriage? With your family? With your career? On your job? In politics? In friends? Or are we living behind a mask? and smiling plastic smiles? trying to earn the approval of people when we ought to tr- be trying to earn God's. How do you get set free from the need to please disease? Six points real quick. Number one, realize that not even God can please everybody. And if he can't, I hate to be the one to tell you, but neither can you. And if you're going to try to do what not even God can do, all I can tell you is you've just tasked yourself with an, imp- an impossible assignment. Not even God can make everyone happy. Number, okay, just look, let me say this. Look at Luke chapter 6 and 26. Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. There will only be one time in your life when everybody speaks well of you. That's right it's when you're dead. And if everybody around you is talking well about you, check your pulse. Otherwise, it's like Boudreaux's wife Marie when Boudreaux suddenly died of a heart attack. And they were at the funeral, and the pastor's going on and on about what a wonderful man Boudreaux is. And finally, Marie nudged her eldest son in the ribs and said, "T boy, y'all going up there and tell me if that's your daddy in the casket or not? Because that preacher's saying so many good things about old Boudreaux, I fear we done come into the wrong funeral service." Number two, realize that you don't need everybody's approval to be fulfilled on the inside. You can be happy without that. Why let somebody else decide your happiness? I wish I could work on that, but I got to go. Number three, understand that God doesn't expect you. To please everyone. He knows how futile that is. Remember this verse I gave you a couple of weeks ago. John 5 and 41. Jesus said I don't need praise from people. And you don't either. Number four. Accept the reality that you cannot and shouldn't rely on others to meet all of your emotional needs. They can't provide them. Hello. Hello. If you're looking to anyone expecting them to meet your emotional needs, you will be disappointed and they will be frustrated. It isn't fair to you or to them. And this is why many marriages fail if somebody says, they weren't meeting my needs. They couldn't. Nobody can. Number five, accept this fact. Know that God accepts you, whether others do or not. And that is all that really matters. Now, what healed me? Ephesians 1 and 6, after I got saved, I found this verse. To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. I need somebody to raise their hands and say, I am accepted. Would you do that? He accepted you. Rather, Joe Blow stands over there with his arms folded looking at you, weird or not. Doesn't matter. God accepts you. That's what's important. His love is unconditional. And in conclusion, number six. How do you get healed of the need to please disease? Be devoted to the one who loves you and placed you here. It is he who gave you your life, a destiny, and a future.